Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I am really excited today, really excited and enthused to have Philip Poli on the show today. Philip comes to, to us from, he's a managing director at Accenture. He's done a lot of really interesting things in health. He has a lot of great philosophies and interests in health. But most importantly, I am not going to steal his thunder. Uh, Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anthony. Great to be here. Well, great to have you on, and thank you for peeling off time to do this. And um, I guess to kick us off, I love to. I love origin stories. I love to hear the source of where energy and thought comes from, especially when all things uh, health related and when people are focusing on health. Um, so small, big question to start us off with. Tell me a little bit about your origin story or said another way, what led you to become the person you are today? Uh, great question. And thanks for asking it. Um, I guess as it pertains to the, the subject matter we're on today, you know, I would start with the fact that I've always been very passionate and deeply interested in the American democratic project, right? I mean, we're, we're still a unique country around the world. Uh, how it is that we figure out how to govern ourselves, uh, holding true to the ideal that everyone's created equal and that we should have an equal shot at success. That's been my passion from even when I was a little kid. Uh, that led me to major in political science in college. And my first job out of uh, college was as a newspaper reporter in a small uh, paper in Eastern Kentucky, the Winchester Sun. Uh, and that's where I got to sort of take what I learned in classrooms at Duke and kind of see it expressed in the real world and, and try to write about it and make it sen make sense to our readers. Um, and as it pertains to this topic, you know, I, I got the chance to meet a lot of people. I, I covered police and fire and planning and zoning. So it brought me into the, literally the homes and the lives of a lot of folks uh, in that part of the country. And what I saw uh, first and foremost uh, is that being poor is bad for your health. Uh, and I saw time and again, uh, people who were working really hard uh, in very uh, savvy and complicated ways to construct would felt sometimes like a house of cards just to keep everything together, arranging for you know how to care for their children, how to get to work, how to put food on the table. What I saw were a lot of people who contended with uh, a degree of chronic disease that I never experienced in my middle class background. I never saw people on oxygen and taking a lot of medicines at a young age. Uh, and that opened my eyes to the fact that you know there are a lot of complex circumstances that lead to whether or not a person can be successful and, and get a fair shot at the American dream. Uh, and then when I started to cover you know the the topics of the day, one of the um, areas I focused on was the welfare to work uh, program that was in place at the time called jobs or job opportunities and basic skills and learned about how there were some very tailored approaches to kind of sitting down with each person and figuring out what's it going to take you, Anthony, uh, to be successful, a little bit of childcare, a little bit of job training, some affordable housing assistance, whatever it is. Uh, the, the the individual approach under that program eventually went away, I think, due to lack of funding or lack of uh, personnel to deal with folks in such a tailored way. But it really opened my eyes to um, to that as as the path to success for people. You know, these sort of one size fits all programs really uh, didn't 
didn't help people the way they wanted to be helped. Um, so then fast forward a little bit, uh, I chose to go back to graduate school for urban and environmental planning and policy. Um, I was at Tufts and I had a job as an intern, uh, you know, paid uh, role with an affordable housing development consulting firm in Cambridge. And we had gotten a contract mm. to help an affordable housing uh, authority, the, the housing authority in Elizabeth, New Jersey, develop their HOPE 6 grant. HOPE 6 was a very large uh, public housing revitalization grant program that HUD was running. And my assignment was to uh, create the family self-sufficiency plan, which was a requirement for a HOPE 6 grant submission. So we were focused on a particular neighborhood. And another real eye-opener was just uh, the fragmentation of services that were available to people. It's something as simple as childcare. If you are trying to work, go to school, deal with the family, you need childcare every day, not occasionally, not when school's in session, not just in the summertime, you need it all the time. And that is true for other services like job training or transportation or healthcare. And the challenges we faced in trying to put together uh, a process whereby people who, uh, who lived in that community would actually have regular access to these needed services so that they could put together an individualized plan for self-sufficiency that was feasible and actionable uh, was, was another really big eye-opener uh, that mm. brought me to this. And then the last piece of the origin story, I guess, um, I then went on to, uh, after working in affordable housing finance agency for a while, I, I went to work in Medicaid at MassHealth, the Massachusetts Medicaid program. Uh, tremendous eye-opener for all sorts of reasons. But one of the things that really stuck with me was uh, there was a program that um, was called Home and Healthy for Good. This was state money that the legislature allocated as a result of some great advocacy by the Massachusetts Housing and Shelter Alliance. Uh, and it basically provided housing first for homeless Medicaid uh, recipients. So no uh, requirement that the person engage in any sort of job training or substance abuse or whatever, just you're on the street, here's a safe place to live. And one of my jobs when I was the COO of the agency was to make data available to third parties who needed uh, approved purposes. And we needed to provide data to uh, this program to help them see what the effects were. And what we found was that the cost to the Commonwealth um, after the program, even when you accounted for the fact that the Commonwealth was paying 100% of the cost of housing, uh, what we found is that by and large, uh, the average return on investment per person was about $12,500 a year. So if you think about it, the Commonwealth is increasing their costs by paying for housing, but Medicaid uh, uh, utilization dropped precipitously. People obviously got healthier by not living on the street. Their mm. use of the emergency department declined, their use of ambulances declined. The, uh, the prevalence of incarceration among this population declined. Incarceration, of course, is a public expense. So that's how there was just a clear and convincing ROI for addressing what was not a healthcare need, at least not as, as we defined it in Medicaid at the time, um, but the impact on healthcare expenditure and more importantly on you know, individual well-being and, and health status was uh, demonstrable and really um, gave me a lot of passion for focusing, as I am today, on uh, social risk factors. I love it. I love it. Well, Philip, you know, a couple of things. I, I really appreciate your background and you know, what led you to, to, to where you're at and, and along the path professionally and your growth in this area. And then second, you know, it's just great to see you firsthand, see the, the evidence demonstrated, you know, 
in person and and you know a lot of people don't get to experience that type of power uh, of of what can be done in this space and it's super exciting to see where you're at today and now you get to take your learnings and what you've done to even a higher scalable level to impact more lives and change more lives and i guess along those lines and that being said tell me a little bit about what are some of the things today in this space that really have you captivated that really have you excited um, thing, more things in this space that you want to see manifested? Sure. Well, there, there's a reason to be excited right now. I mean, the, the concept of social risk factor, social determinants has certainly been around for a while. <clears throat> but I think there are three things that are present in this moment that create this opportunity. Um, the first is just the explosion of data generally, right? We, we now give off as individuals reams of data. Everywhere we go, everything we do for good or for ill produces data. Uh, and that's way more data than was produced even 10 years ago when all we had was a flip phone. Um, so that's one thing that's changed. The second thing that's changed is the uh, technology around big data and analytics. So we can learn things, draw really well-informed uh, conclusions from unstructured data. There are advances in technology that, that no longer require every piece of data to be categorized into a row and a column and everything perfect before you can learn anything. So that's also a change that creates this moment of opportunity. And then the last one, and, and really the one in many ways I'm most excited about, is the rise of consumerism. Uh, mm. Consumers of all stripe, including Medicaid consumers, um, which is the population I focus the most on, uh, expect delightful experiences in everything they do. Right. They don't mm. they don't have a different set of expectations for healthcare than they do for online retail. Right. The, 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 the experience sort of benchmark is I take out my phone, I press a button and a car shows up to where I am and takes me where I want to go and shows me how it's going to get me there. And I walk out and no money changes hands. That's a, a delightful experience. And that's one that people now expect. And I think that expectation will drive is driving healthcare providers, insurers, and public agencies to engage people in a much more personalized and, and quite frankly, delightful manner, uh, which I think is really required if we're going to actually sort of, when the rubber hits the road and implement social risk factor or social determinants of health programs, it is about that individual engagement. Uh, and I think that it's these three things that have sort of come together at this moment that create the possibility uh, and that's what's really exciting to me uh, right now. And we can we can go deep on any one of those if you'd like, but that's sort of the headline. Yeah, I would love for, uh, this is great. Yeah, I'd love for you to go uh, a little bit deeper, you know, along the lines with the context of maybe an example or two of a day in the life that you're seeing happen, about to see happen, or have seen happen. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe you can unpack that a little bit and just give us some illustration or, or maybe, uh, you know, user journey of, you know, someone that's in Medicaid or sure. hear more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'll tell you what we have as a vision, uh, and then I'll talk to you about some of the, uh, innovations I'm seeing out in the marketplace that I think are helping us achieve that vision. But, but, but my, uh, view, the, the view that, that my colleagues and I at Accenture are developing is really that if we're going to be effective in social determinants, we have the ability to understand when a person needs or wants something the way they want it. And we can then bring that intervention at those moments that matter. So the example would be, uh, I have diabetes 
I'm trying to manage my disease. I'm trying to eat on my meal plan. Uh, maybe in the near past or even current world, my insurer, the Medicaid agency, might be sending a blast email on occasion to everybody who is tagged as having diabetes with some generalized tips about what I should be doing. Uh, where we'd like to go, where the data and technology allows us to go now is I'm on the bus every Tuesday to go to a supermarket in another neighborhood because I live in a food desert. Mm -hmm. And that's when I get the, the reach out from whoever it is, the health plan or the Medicaid agency. It says, hey, Phil, uh, we noticed you're headed to the supermarket. Would you like some diabetic uh, recipes that you can make at home? And oh, by the way, uh, we've developed some incentive programs so that if you are maintaining your, your hemoglobin A1C at the level that you're targeted for and you are generally adhering to your meal plan, you can earn rewards. And our view about rewards also is to move away from that one size fits all. You see a lot of health plans kind of handing out gift cards to pharmacies or things like that. And instead to calibrate the rewards to what the person's social risk factors are. So in the hypothetical, if my main social risk factor is lack of access to transportation and I'm maintaining my A1Cs and I'm, I'm eating healthy and doing the other things that my doctor and I decided I should be doing, the reward instead of a gener generic gift card could be money in my uh, ride-sharing company account or some other transportation benefits. So it brings me something that I actually need to help me overcome the social risk factors that I confront today. Mm. Uh, so that's really where, where we would like to see the world going. That's where I think it is going in bits and pieces. Um, we at Accenture have uh, a, a health tech innovation challenge. It's sort of like a, a shark tank. We, we curate startups from a large number down to about a dozen. And, and we have these shark tank type experiences in, in different cities. So this year it's Boston, San Francisco mm -hmm. and Houston. Uh, and, and in the Boston session this year, I saw a number of companies that were sort of heading in that direction. Um, bringing in data, bringing in uh, consumer-friendly experiences to help people, in the example I gave, manage their diabetes. There was a really innovative uh, product uh, around measuring and dispensing um, diabetic medicine that's a complete uh, game changer. Mm -hmm. So I think that the world is evolving. Startups like like yours and others are, are kind of seizing the day and taking that vision I kind of laid out, that personalized assistance at the moments that matter that address your specific factors mm. and sort of making that come alive through their products and services. So that that's what's making me excited right now. Wow. Yeah, no, I love it. And it's it's super exciting to see. Yeah. And so it sounds like to play to play that back a little bit, you know, true consumer friendly experiences, those that are relative, extremely anticipatory uh, and uh, of a person's needs before they may even know that they they want or need them have them be super mobile mobile friendly and and not over exhausting on the notification. exactly and and really yeah. channel sensitive so you know yeah. it's always nice and easy to talk about sort of a, a mobile device channel and, and our own research tells us that you know, again the medicaid population is the one that i focus on they're just as digitally savvy as everybody else um, and their main access to the internet is on a smartphone and, and maybe fewer uh, folks have access to other channels like PCs and laptops. But there are mm -hmm. plenty of people who don't want to interact digitally. That's not where their comfort zone is. So we right. need to really truly understand where people are. So that's why we are 
forging relationships with nonprofits that reach people through community mechanisms. So there's one, Our Health Ministry. It really uh, builds a network of relationships with African-American faith communities because for some folks, the message will be heard and acted upon, not through some indicator or text message on their phone, but when mm -hmm. a trusted individual like their pastor or the deacon in their church says, hey, this is important, uh, and here are some resources that are available to you. So really understanding not just the attitudes and preferences and circumstances of the individuals, but also their, their communication channels of preference and trust for this sort of information, right? These are people who might trust digital information for other things like buying a cell phone plan, um, but for healthcare information, they're gonna look to people that they know and trust. And we need to understand who those folks are and meet them where they are, rather than asking them to meet us where we are. I love it. I love it, Philip. Yeah, no, this is great. And I, I really appreciate the perspective and you're, you're really illustrating a, a perfect, you know, day in the life on innovations that you're seeing happen. You're, you know, some ones that are emerging, ones are starting to mature. And so it was super exciting to see. And, you know, the end result is really, a, you know, a patient centered experience, you know, exactly. a, 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 an experience centered around the human being. That's all that matters. Uh, in, improving their health, improving their lives, and you improve one life, and that can affect someone else. And you know, it's it's a great, in, incredible domino effect. Um, you know, thinking of solutions and applying them in this space. Uh, Philip, along those lines, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about you know these innovations as they as they grow, as we're talking about, as they manifest, as they compound on each other, become distributed and they become digitized and you know you can distribute them through different you know digital ecosystems that are already in providers and payers mm -hmm. um i guess overall where do you see health going what what's the future <laughs> i guess said another way what's the future of health look like to philip and <laughs> what do you want to see happen what do you know in your bones is going to happen mm -hmm. um just love to hear you know the the, the nostradamus element of the, the <laughs> Uh, another small big question. Small um, big question. I, I, I guess um, for me, I, where I would like to see it go, where, where I hope it is going, where I see indications it is going, is to really redefine what we think of in that box as health. And I'm doing air quotes right now mm -hmm. because as we've been mm -hmm. talking about, you know, the traditional definition of the healthcare system is doctors and hospitals and clinics. Um, and, and everything we've been talking about so far is really about the things that happen outside of there. So I think it's really that sort of redefinition of what does the healthcare ecosystem look like. Um, outside of work, I'm on the board of a nonprofit here in Charlotte called Caring. It's been around about 65 years, uh, mm. provides healthcare to the uninsured. We've got a low cost clinic and a network of specialists who will treat our members and we run a nurse family partnership program. And we achieve fantastic clinical results with this population, in many cases exceeding the standards uh, that the state Medicaid agency sets for its highest performing providers because we really understand our consumers and we we understand that what's gonna make them healthy is largely stuff that happens outside of our clinic. Uh, mm -hmm. So our, our nonprofit, Caring, is in a building called the Community and Family Service Center where there are a number of other nonprofits who provide all sorts of other assistance. And we work collaboratively with those organizations to sort of treat the whole person and even treat, you know, is, is probably the wrong word to use. It's really a collaboration because we're meeting people where they are. It's not that we've got one answer and trying to get people to follow it. 
it. The first thing we do is find out, all right, what's what's going to be successful for you? What's the thing that's most important to you? What's the best way to engage you? And we find that when we do that, that's what leads us to the great results that we're able to produce for folks because we're meeting them where they are. We're supporting them in a way that they uh, want to be supported, connecting with the resources that they say that they need. Uh, and that's, that's the redefinition of health that I'm talking about. A lot of what goes on has nothing to do with healthcare. I mean, the example I gave from uh, Medicaid, Medicaid doesn't pay for housing unless you're in a nursing home. Yet mm -hmm. housing can be an enormous uh, and positive influence on your overall health. Mm. The same with, you know, access to nutritional food or access to transportation, the big things that we hear about all the time, or uh, or just better engagement with the broader community. A lot of low-income folks, whether they're urban or rural, are isolated through whether it's lack of access to transportation or the the, the sort of dearth of sort of common services that you'd expect mm -hmm. to see in a healthy community, whether it is good places to get food or libraries and places to get job training and places to work. Um, so I think if, if we really want to take a, a true approach to health, we must, and I think we are, that's what makes me exciting, excited, um, redefining what goes into that bucket that we call healthcare, which also then opens up the ecosystem quite a bit for all sorts of new participants that didn't traditionally be categorized, you know, weren't traditionally categorized as, as healthcare folks. Mm, mm, I love it. I love it. Now, Phil, this, I appreciate the perspective. Mm -hmm. Got me thinking, and I'm sure, you know, as people are listening to this, we've got a lot of, you know, hospital CEOs, uh, or providers and payers that listen to the show and yeah. you, you got us all thinking and having conversations, uh, uh practical, um, ways of thinking in this space and real life examples like you're citing or, you know, it's everything and it makes a huge difference. So I really and, appreciate this. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not just about doing the right thing, although I think we should all be motivated by that, obviously, but mm -hmm. it, it just makes good business sense. If I'm a hospital CEO, I can see how much free care I'm writing off out of my ED. Right. And if I knew how to uh, ensure that I, you know, fulfilled my obligation to my community uh, and did so in a way that didn't have me uh, absorbing the cost of, you know, procedures delivered in my ED that didn't need to be delivered there and might not have ever, uh, you know, conditions that I might not have ever seen in the first place if people had access to better preventative care and, and all the other factors that we were just talking about, better nutrition, safer housing, that sort of thing. Um, that's, that's, good for my bottom line right and i think it's a pretty clear um roi model you could build that hey if i invested this way uh hypothetically you know build or or, or support a community clinic like a care ring uh, adjacent to my ed where people can get served at any time of the day or night and they're not walking into my ed and getting uh free care that's good for my business and right. it's good for my community yeah. I love it. I love it. It's, it's a, it's a balance between empathy, common sense, and a really good formula and math. Right. And all these, yeah. these factors need to kind of be considered weighed out, tested. Um, but the math is, is key. You know, the math isn't lying. You've given us some really real good world examples. Um, you know, Philip, this is, you know, super powerful. Um, Philip, let me ask you, uh, my, I guess my very last question for yeah. you, is, um, contact info or social media presence if you'd like sure. our listeners to get in touch with you say hi amen what would be a good way to reach out to you just to just to say hi or you know whether it's direct or through social media or through linkedin 
Sure. Uh, I'm definitely on LinkedIn, and that's a great place for folks um, who want to connect professionally to reach out. Uh, people are free to email me. Um, it's philip, that's with one L, dot A, dot poly, P-O-L-E-Y, at Accenture.com. Uh, but either either method works. Uh, I get outreach from folks all the time. I've had some great conversations from folks I never knew before who shoot me a note on LinkedIn, and, and then we get into it. And, and that's uh, one of the things that's very exciting about working in this field right now. It's all the people who are kind of energized around the, the same topics, the same vision, the same commitment to moving the needle. So um, however you want to reach me, please do. And, and I think... Uh, you know, the possibilities for positive change for individuals uh, and for the institutions that serve them are truly endless. Absolutely. Absolutely. Philip, thank you so much. This is great. Love to have you back on the show at, you know, and see as you uh, keep manifesting and doing uh, new projects, new studies, new, new uh, data points in this area. Love to have you come back and, and share those experiences. And it was just super powerful to have you on uh, this show. Uh, this was great, Philip. This was great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Anthony. It was great to be here. I'll come back anytime you ask. Thank you so much. All right. Take Have care. Have a great one. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye.